1: Alright, I'll do Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for fifteen dollars a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on Us. Mintmobile.com switch. Upfront payment of forty-five dollars equivalent to fifteen dollars per month. Unlimited over forty gigabytes per month, face lower speeds. Videos at four eighty p. Active mint customers by five thirty one twenty-four. Get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG.
0: Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that.
1: This podcast is for listeners who want to sail the waters of the expansive Indian Ocean to learn about his past and present. Thank you for joining me today. I'm your host, Ahmed Almazmi, a PhD candidate at Princeton University. And with us today is Professor Amr Al the translator of Africanism Blacks in the Medieval Arab Imaginary, authored by Professor Nader Kadam and published by Miguel Queen's University Press in 2023. The book is a translation of the Arabic title, Timthilat al Akhar, Surah al Su'ud, fi al Arabi al Wasir, published by Dar Su'ad. And there is a recent edition this year as well. Nader Kalam is a professor uh, emeritus of cultural studies at the University of Bahrain. And Amr al is an associate professor of Islamic and Arab cultures at uh, Renaissance University College, affiliated with the University of Waterloo. Welcome, Amr, to New Books in the Indonesian World. And thanks so much for taking the time to talk about the book. Thank you very much for having me. You're I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Uh, the book tackles anti Blackness, which has until, until recently been a taboo topic within Arab society. This begins uh, to change when Nader Kalam, a prominent Arab and Muslim thinker from Bahrain, published the first in depth investigation of anti Black racism in the Arab world in 2024 sorry, in, two, in 2004. This translation of the new revised and abridged edition of Kablam's influential text brings to the, the conversation to the English-speaking world. Uh, as he calls it, al-istifraq in Arabic, or Africanism in English, a term that is uh, analogous to Orientalism, which we will also talk about, refers to the discursive elements of uh, perceiving, imagining, and representing Black people as a subject of study and Arabic writings. Kadam explores the narratives of Africanism in the Arab imaginary from the Middle Ages to the 19th century to show how racism towards Black people is ingrained in the Arab world, offering by that a comprehensive account of the representations of Blackness and Black people in Arab cultural narratives which includes uh, the Qur'an, uh, the Hadith, which are prophetic traditions in Islam and uh, Arabic literature, geography and history, among other genres. This book examines uh, the pejorative image of Black people in Arab cultural discourse through three perspectives. The first is uh, the controversial anthropological concept that culture defines what it means to be human. Uh, The other, the biblical narrative of Noah uh, cursing his son Ham's descendants, uh, which is understood to be uh, the darker skinned uh, with servitude, and uh, the Greco-Roman physiognomy, philosophy, medicine, and geography. Describing the shifting standards of inclusion that have positioned Arab identity in opposition to blackness Kadam argues that in the cultural imaginary of the Arab world, Black people are widely conflated with the Other, with capital O. Analyzing canonical Arabic texts through the lens of English, French, and German theory, Africanism traces the history of racism in Arab culture. Africanism digs deep into the cultural constructions of Blacks in all aspects of the Arab imaginary, including language, religion, philosophy, literature, geography, and history, as we've mentioned. So we have a lot to tackle in this uh, podcast, but we will take it a step at a time. And the first thing we would like to learn about the translator of this uh, book. Uh, So please, Amur, can you start us off by saying a few words about yourself? That is where you grew up. Uh, where you went to school, how you became interested uh, in your field of study, and if you would like to mention any mentors or books.
0: Yes, thank you very much again for having me. Uh, I'd like to mention that I come to this conversation as a person of color in Canada, but a quote white, quote Arab, Iraqi Canadian, Muslim background, and a professor a privilege that gives me the freedom and responsibility to share my knowledge about anti-Black racism in the Arab world. Um, I was born and raised in Basra, which is the second largest city in the south of Iraq. Uh, I first pursued my passion for English literature at the University of Basra, and later completed my master's degree at the University of Baghdad. My academic interests led me to Canada where I initially intended to explore the works of a, a British playwright, his name is Harold Pinter, which is uh, which was my topic for my PhD. However, my path took a significant turn guided by the wisdom and mentorship of the late Professor Robert Fothergill Um, I turned my research to examine the representation of political violence in plays written about the Iraq war, a topic deeply rooted in my upbringing and personal context. Following the completion of my PhD, my academic interest diversified, spanning three distinct fields of study, which which are Iraqi theater, theater of the oppressed, and more recently, anti-black racism, and Arab, uh, Black Arab heritage in the Arab world.
1: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, so you've mentioned, and now we've mentioned before this, that Africanism is written by a Bahraini scholar, Nader Kadam, and translated into English by uh, an Iraqi from Basra on the Persian Gulf. So can you share with the listeners how your positionality growing up in Basra Uh, which has substantial uh, black uh, community uh, facing the Gulf, and your encounter with the book Africanism led you to embark on the project of translation.
0: Sure, yeah.
1: Um, The recent interest in
0: anti-black racism is personal to me, as uh, it came from my experience growing up in most of the Iraq's black population lives. Uh, A few years after moving to Canada, I began learning about racism in the West and experienced a change, a shift in my racial identity from uh, uh, a white or a light-skinned Arab to a person of color. This new and personal racial reconfiguration and its experience led me to reflect on racism against the black community in Basra. So, I became interested in exploring the historical roots of anti-Blackness within my culture, tracing its origins back to a time before Islam. My commitment involves uh, writing about, documenting, translating, and promoting the rich heritage of Black Arabs. But uh, unfortunately, it has not been without uh, its challenges. My uh, first encounter with Dr. Nader's book occurred when I was uh, preparing a presentation on Afro-Iraqis and their rituals. I was amazed by his bold uh, presentation of the subject matter and his thorough and systematic critical analysis of a wide range of texts. In May 2021, I invited Dr. Nader to give an online lecture on the topic at the University of Waterloo. So I facilitated his lecture, which was entitled uh, Deconstructing Africanism, The Image of Black People in the Arab Imaginary. The lecture ignited heated, but meaningful discussion among the audiences. After that, I asked Doctor Nader if I could translate his book, and he responded with delight, granting his approval.
1: So that's uh, the the story in a, in a nutshell. That's an amazing story. Thank you for sharing it. Thank you. Uh, in terms of translating uh, a book, and I can, and I know this from experience myself, there are always rewards as as well as challenges. So, can you share some of those? Uh, about reproducing the book for an English-speaking audience, particularly in working with medieval Arabic text, which the book offers samples of?
0: Yeah. Um, as I noted in the preface of the book, uh, engaging in a translation project of this magnitude has been both an honor uh, and uh, an extent an extensive undertaking. The endeavor has been a source of great satisfaction as it allowed me to introduce English-speaking readers to valuable contributions in the emerging field of the so-called al-istifraq al-Arabi, Arab Africanism. Not only uh, is there very little scholarship on anti-Black racism in, in the Arab world, but also there is even less in English. Also, Although I have learned a lot from this book, I cannot deny that I have sometimes felt disgusted by the extremely racist portrayals of black people in the, in the text st- studied in this book. Um, uh, another thing is understanding and translating classical Arabic poetry is daunting in many ways, even for Arab readers and translators. Its archaic vocabulary, intricate images and metaphors, complicated rhymes and rhythm, old cultural names and references, etc., pose linguistic and aesthetic uh, challenges to understand and translate. I spent a considerable amount of, of time searching for good translations and sometimes not finding any. I translated classical Arabic poetry into modern English prose. I have tried to be as faithful to the original uh, meaning as possible through uh, digging deep into the meaning and the context of the poem and elicit uh, relevant information from the author of the book and also through numerous footnotes. The other challenge was to translate the subtly sarcastic tone embodied in the author's author's style, when he was commenting on, on those medieval scholars and writers' uh, offensive theorization of representation of Black people. I had to spend a long time wrestling with words and structures to make it clear to the English-speaking reader that the author is being sarcastic and not in any way supportive of those anti-Black arguments and representations. The, the other issue is dealing with Arabic translations of sources written in or translated into English or French. Based on my research, access, and convenience, I quote sources available in English or written in English from the English originals or from standard translation into English, for example, like Freud and Doran. When unable to find any, I translate the Arabic into English myself. So these are some of the challenges in
1: translating the book. That's that's really impressive. <laughs> Thank you for sharing, uh, sharing that. Uh, so another column wrote about the subject of the book, and he says, it is a very sensitive topic, and it requires sensitivity and deep uh, familiarity with many fields of knowledge that were common in the Middle Ages, as well as great accuracy and caution to avoid the slippery slope of bias. So I'd like to ask, how did the book navigate uh, the trains, uh, the trains of so-called sensitivity, given that the book wasn't intended for an Arab audience, not an English-speaking one? And in what ways uh, do the topics of racism and the history of slavery uh, threaten those uh, who are, for the most part, really indifferent or misinformed about it? Yeah, um, the topic is sensitive. First of all, the topic is sensitive
0: and considered taboo, as you said, um, and as Nader indicated, and it's often met with denial in Arab societies. Investigating this topic, Dr. Nader indicates, uh, by investigating this topic, uh, this can lead to a shift from critique to allegations of racism within a culture, or from analysis to extremism and bias. Scholars may unconsciously veer towards either an unjustified stance that denies any prejudice or discrimination within Arab culture, or to an accusation that labels the entire culture as racist. So Nader's hope that his critical methodology in in the book prevents falling into into this trap of making baseless accusation or harboring prejudices.
1: Right, and, and the book was published like more than 20 years ago and uh, it trickled uh, through Arab studies and writings. And we have more works in fiction, I would say, that tackles this issue. So it's encouraging to see uh, this uh, shift in attitude towards studying uh, racism and anti-black uh, you know, racism in, in Arabic literature and culture, as well as the history of slavery. Um, so Nader column compares Arab Africanism with Orientalism and some of the listeners might be familiar with the term Ori- Orientalism but not Africanism and um, he said and, and I would like to ask in what ways does the uh, does Arab Africanism mirror Orientalism and how do the historical underpinnings of Islamic conquests and the rush of well-to-know this, uh, discoveries, as we find in the book and explorations, contribute to this resemblance and comparison between Africanism and Orientalism.
0: Uh, so, much like Western Orientalist scholars' interest in the Orient, Arab medieval scholars also showed a strong interest in studying the cultures of people from various corners of the world, north, south, east, and west. And uh, although this Arab interest did not have the institutional backing of research institutes and universities, it did collect a substantial heritage and a wealth of knowledge about the black or uh, in the past al-Zanj. And this encompassed included aspects such as their culture, customs, traditions, religions, um, clothing, cuisine, and more. All of these endeavors were undertaken during the era of Arab civilization and cultural and political dominance, which persisted for the first five uh, centuries following the rise of Islam. It was within this context that the discourse of what Nader refers to as Arab Africanism, al-istifraq al-Arabi emerged. The term refers to the Arab representation of black people and their intense interest in learning about the various races and cultures of the Black people, whether Sudan, Zanj, and Africans, comparable to the West, interest in Orientalism and its relationship with the Orient. So while the objectives and motivation of Western Orientalism may not align precisely with those of Arab-Africanism, both phenomena flourished in the backdrop of cultural, political, and military predominance of the studying and observing self. While, while Arab Africanism did not attain the same degree of political, economic, and institutional power as Orientalism, it showed certain similarities. In both cases, there exists a discourse that reinforced the political and cultural desire for dominance. While colonialism fueled Orientalism, Islamic conquest and the passion for discovery and exploration drove, drove Af, uh, Arab Africanism. Both Orientalism and Africanism were dynamic and assertive processes of representing an external other that differed religiously, culturally, and linguistically. Um, therefore, they gave rise to the construction of imagined and contrived depiction of this other. And uh, just as Edward Said suggested that Orientalism shaped the concept of the Orient, so too did Arab culture create the image of the black african other. Both Orientalism and Africanism crafted intricate and extensive discourses about this other, compromised of images, representation, And biases that were deemed self evident and drew lines demarcating them as quote unquote pure in contrast to these other quote unquote polluted races and cultures. So, this is roughly speaking the the comparison between Arab Africanism and Orientalism. And by the way, even in Arabic, there is a kind of a um, linguistic, or what we call it, like rhythm, similarity in, uh, in when you say it in Arabic, al-istifraq, which is Africanism, and al-istishraq, you see the similarity in the pronunciation and rhythm. Uh, yeah, so these, these are the main uh, common aspects between the two.
1: Yes, uh, thank you for uh, illuminating us with this uh, comparison to understand further the conceptual framework of the book. Uh, The book is divided uh, into four chapters, in two parts. Uh, The first part is titled Cultural Representations and the Imaginary Underpinnings, and part two, the Imaginary and the Literary Representation. Uh, In part one, the first chapter, Blacks in the Arab Imaginary, uh, I'd like to ask, how does the first chapter delve into the historical and cultural foundations that shape the representations of Blacks in the Arab Imaginary? with a specific emphasis on the role of history and cultural patterns in shaping perceptions before and after the emergence of Islam.
0: So in the first chapter, Nader examines the complex relationship between Black people and Arabs, which was marked by both conflict and harmony, and also its impact on the representation of Black people in Arab culture. Conflict narrative traced back to the pre-Islamic era, notably during the Abyssinian Arab conflict events, such as the Abyssinian invasion of Yemen, uh, or Saif bin, bin Diyazin seeking refuge with Khusra of Persia, uh the Abraha, who was called Abu Yaksum Yaksum, campaign to destroy the Kaaba, and many many other uh incidents and happened and, and events at that time. So these narrative continued past Islam. With the emergence of Islam, narratives of harmony began to, to emerge, notably with the reconciliation represented in the event of the first Muslim migration to Abyssinia, the first hijrah to al- habashah However, the shadow of the earlier conflict narrative persisted and found its most important, uh, I mean, prominent manifestation in the context of the slave trade and the enduring uh, perception of a black individual as slaves and inferiors. These historical dynamics gave rise to two interwoven yet contrasting mechanisms. The first mechanism centered on attraction, integration, and acceptance prompted by Islam and its universal principles of inclusivity. On the other hand, the second mechanism revolved around exclusion, reflecting a culture desire to fortify its own identity against those perceived as different others. Therefore, while the first mechanism cultivated an open and tolerant cultural identity, the second mechanism Fostered a closed and at certain times aggressive identity marked by conflict with these others. Nader also explores the role of the religious system in shaping the Arab imaginary of Black people by examining, for example, the Islamic view of the other and Black people in particular and its representation and application in Muslims' lives and also the Islamic view of religion as a cultural system. A culture with a religion has been viewed by Arabs as superior to a culture that has no religion or sharia.
1: Thank you for unpacking the the first chapter to the listeners. And in the second chapter, we learn more about the uh, so-called absolute other and the power of representation. So how does the second chapter of the book shed light on the uh, pervasive stereotypes about Blacks uh, within the non-fictional cultural imaginary, and what role do various discourses and narratives play in shaping this representation?
0: So chapter two explores writing by really well-established writers, Arab writers, and scholars. For example, Shams al-Din Abu Zayd al sirafi Sulayman al-Tajr, al-Tabari, Al-Mas'udi, Ibn Hawqal, Al-Maqdisi, Al-Qazwini, Ibn Khaldun, Ibn Battuta, Ibn al jahil Ibn Al-Nadim, Al-Hayyan, Abu Al-Hayyan Al-Tawhidi all these the chapter 2 explore all the writings of these by these writers who may differ in style and field of specialization but they share the same view of black people None of these writers criticized the view of Black people as inferior, nor did they refrain from writing about it. None of them objected to describing Black people as animals, savages, backwards, immoral, etc., etc. And those writers were influenced by or supported their representation from. Biblical narratives um, and Greek and Roman physiognomy, philosophy, medicine, and geography. I mean theories, uh, Greek, Roman, and th- theories in phys- no, physiognomy, philosophy, medicine, and geography, such as the the seven climes theory and the theory of humors. Moreover, um, neither in this chapter problematizes and critiques the seemingly positive representation of black people in al jahil book, or al Jahiz al book, uh, and his book is called Fakhr al al-Bidhan, The Pride of Blacks Over Whites, where he praises black people's virtues while satirizing them. And he's satirizing them while praising their virtues. Nader indicates that al jahal rejects the religious determinism of biblical origin, which holds that blackness was a divine curse. And instead, he believes in the natural determinism, where blackness is caused by the proximity to the sun. So this is in a, briefly what chapter two explores.
1: Thank you for sharing that. Um, moving to the part two. Blacks and narrative representation, uh, we learn more about Arabic literature. Uh, so what role did it play, such as uh, the famous Sirat Bani Hilal and One Thousand and One Nights uh, and perpetuating racial difference and derogatory representations of the Black other? And how can we address and challenge these narratives in contemporary cultural discourse?
0: So these narratives, whether the folk uh, biographies or the alf uh, layla wa layla, uh, which is 1001 one thousand nights they share some common features they are popular folk narratives transmitted orally and they are written anonymously we don't have we don't have names of their writers authors these reasons made them a fertile ground for the collective cultural imaginary to implement or to implant its disparaging representation of the black other without any supervision or questioning. The presence of the black other remains at the heart of these narratives. And it's strange that the, that the hero in, the, in three of the most important Arab popular biographies is a black person as in the case of Antara bin Shaddad, Sirat Antara, يعني, uh, Prince Abdul Wahab bin uh, Al-Amir Adat al Prince uh, Barakat, named as Abu Zayd al-Hilali. The black as an external or internal other is a present as a central issue and a subject of cultural significance, a crucial component in building the narrative and directing uh, its events. And we can see the first predicament that the hero confronts is the dilemma of affiliation and not recognizing his sonship. Barakat, for example, Abu Zayd al-Hilali and Prince Abdul Wahhab face this dilemma despite their noble lineage on the side of the father and the mother. And sometimes the blackness of the child is a reason for the outbreak of war between cousins and later between Arabs and Romans, as in Sirat al-Amiradat al-Himma. As for One Thousand and One Night, it collected every negative representation that was scattered here and there and put them in one book. So it's a collection of recurring tales of lustful black slaves, savage cannibals, debauching the woman of their masters. They are tales with a similar narrative plot. It begins with seduction, then sexual intercourse between a man and a black slave, between, sorry, a woman and a black slave, and ends with a punishment for both the woman and the black slave. Those tales use humor, amusement, and um, uh, other techniques literary techniques as as a disguise to pass on their negative representation of black people as external other and women as the internal other as for your second uh, as for the second part of your question um, to confront and challenge anti-black narratives in contemporary culture discourse a comprehensive approach is needed is necessary. This involves promoting education and awareness about the historical context of such narratives, advocating for accurate and positive media representation of Black uh, black people, Black individuals, amplifying diverse Black voices across various platforms, implementing cultural sensitivity training, supporting policy changes that address systemic, systemic racism, fostering community engagement and dialogue, leveraging social media for activism, promoting critical thinking and media literacy, advocating for legislation against hate speech, and encouraging support for Black-owned businesses and, and platforms. Many, 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 uh, to, you know, many, uh, I would say, ways to confront and challenge anti-Black narratives. In, in contemporary cultural discourse. So by collectively adopting these strategies, we can work together and towards dismantling harmful narrative and creating a more inclusive and equitable cultural landscape.
1: Right, and uh, also think of it when we write in the recent history or Islamic history, or history in the Indian Ocean, uh, I think rather than just thinking of it as a history of let's say uh afro you know dash communities here and there we should also think of it as constitutive of any history that we write about because all of these societies we write about they are substantial you know uh communities historical communities of uh, african descent people living uh, in whatever context we write about so if it's absolutely yes. We should make it salient and foregrounded and showcase the diversity of these societies absolutely it. yeah it's it's there if you look for it so that's one way i guess to grapple with it if uh, historians or anthropologists and other you know scholars are listening um and the final chapter we learn more about uh, a performative aspect of this literary tradition so they are not just text being written, but also recited, uh, performed, and shared with a wider audience, who in the mo- uh, for the most part was illiterate, and poetry was uh, paramount in, in this case. Uh, and uh, in the fourth chapter, Representation of Blacks in Poetry, we encounter the concept of uh, contrapuntal reading. And I would like to ask, what does it mean? And how does the concept shed light on the complex interplay between Arab poets' portrayal of blacks and black poets' response uh, uh, in retaliation to Arabic poetry as explored in in this chapter? Uh, Can you please elaborate on some of the specific cases? Uh, And you can pick whether it's uh, Ibn Rumi or Al-Mu'tanabbi, Antar ibn Shaddad or others to shed light on this. Yes. So uh,
0: contrapuntal is a musical term that Edward Said uh, employs as an analytical approach to colonial and post-colonial literature. And this method involves juxtaposing the narratives of the colonizers with those of the colonized, thereby scrutinizing both opposing and interwoven histories. In the fourth chapter, Edward Said's contrapuntal reading serves as a methodological Methodological tool to explore the representation of black people in Arabic poetry and the counter-representations by Black poets. For example, influential Arab poets like Ibn Rumi and then Mutanabbi utilize poetry as a means to rally Arabs in the conflict, in the conflict against Black people, and in particular the Zenj Revolution and the overthrow. Throw of uh, Kafur al-Khshidi. Ibn Rumi's famous poem played a prominent role in this discourse, depicting Black people as cursed infidels, malicious traitors, and violators of Islam's sacred principles and prohibitions. This representation was used to mobilize and legitimize a holy war in the name of Islam between uh, Black people and. uh, and uh, uh, white, Arab, uh, I would say, between black and Arabs during this time, uh, during the uh, Zanj revolution or the Zanj rebellion. Also, chapter four in that explores two different voices of black poets. The first is a voice that represents the assimilated black within Arab culture. Such a such a voice seeks to integrate into Arab culture and thus forget their quote-unquote, Bassinian, Nubian, or Zinji, quote, passed, and in turn surrendered to their, to their representation by Arab culture. Black poets such as Antar ibn Shaddad, Nusayb, and Dulama were slaves and were hurt in their inner souls because of their blackness. Therefore, they tried to lighten the burden of their blackness by all means, and to cover up their blackness by apology and justification, or to make up for their blackness with the quote-unquote whiteness of their moral standards. Therefore, their poetry has become an integral part of Arabic literature, and they are included among Arab poets. On the other hand, the second voice represent a more radical stance from black poets who strongly reject the host cultures representation they embody a rebellious voice against the attempts at containment assimilation or integration imposed by arab culture this group refuses to be represented by the dominant culture and instead confront it with counter representation as a form of resistance against cultural hegemony they insist on representing themselves and their culture independently for example, like in, in this category, poets like Suhaim Abdul bani al-Hassas, al bin Rabah, and uh, many others like Okaim al-Habashi. So these are some examples. Yeah. Still there, Ahmed? Hello?
1: Yeah. Thank you for, for that, and thank you for, uh, for translating the book and making it accessible to a wider audience uh, in the English-speaking world. Uh, The book in Arabic is over 500 pages, but for the English readers, it's about 116. So it's quite succinct succinct and uh, quite uh, uh, useful for for a classroom uh, setting, I would say. And it provides uh, something for everyone, whether you're interested in the history part or literature and culture, anthropology and so on. There is something for everyone. So I really recommend picking up the book and exploring these different genres and representations of, uh, of black people in Arabic imaginary. Uh, but before letting you go, uh, we like to ask this question, which is who do you hope will read this book and what sort of impact would you like it to have? So I think this book would be of interest
0: to a wide range of readers. In addition to the general readers, this book would appeal to scholars and students studying topics related to race,
1: culture and history, particularly those with a focus on the Middle East and Arab society. Yes, indeed. Uh, it's quite accessible and you've done a great job in translating it. Thank you. Thank you so much. And now the book is off your desk. Uh, can you share with the listeners uh, what are you working on now or hope to work on the future? I am currently working with two American scholars on two books, two different books. The first
0: is Theater in Iraq and Our Occupation, um, and the other one is The Image of Americans in uh, Post Iraq War Literature. Um, as for the work related to Afro Black Arabs, uh, I'm working on a research project to document, preserve, and share Afro Iraqi cultural heritage. This project will explore Afro-Iraqi heritage and its significance. It, w- it, it aims to fill a, a knowledge gap, ensuring Afro-Iraqi heritage is documented, archived, and thoughtfully shared with the world. And by doing so, this project aims to foster greater understanding, recognition, and awareness of the endangered Afro-Iraqi
1: heritage, which currently faces
0: the looming threat of extinction.
1: That sounds amazing, and we would love to have you back on the podcast to talk about your future projects. Uh, thank you so much for uh, translating again and sharing this book, and thank you for the listeners for tuning in to today's episode in which we explored Africanism, Blacks, and the Medieval Arab Imaginary, authored by uh, Nader Qabam and translated by Amr al and published by Miguel Queens University Press this year, 2023. This is your host, Ahmed Al-Mazmi. Stay tuned for the next episode of New Books in the Indian Ocean World.